Hey, I'd like to welcome you to the PCC this morning. Uh, glad to have you uh, with us. If uh, I had someone tell me this morning that they thought the best thing we could do is to put a sign out on 31 that said, God loves you, AC is on, right? It is a warm kind of yuck morning out there, right? But we're glad that you're here today as we uh, worship the Lord together, as we open his word, and as we uh, spend time learning about his truth. Uh, we are continuing in our series uh, titled, Moses, Follow the Leader. And uh, that's where we're, we're going to look at more of his life today and, and the interactions that he had uh, with the people. And uh, more than anything, we're trying to look at the lessons that we can learn from the life of Moses and, and the things that happened uh, to him and, and around him that can apply to us and how we can grow in our faith and our life as well. So uh, when we first looked at Moses, what we found was the interaction between God and Moses in the burning bush. Remember that? And, and we looked at how God came to Moses and said, here's what I want you to do. And Moses basically said, you know what, God, I'm good. You go ahead. Go ahead and do what you're going to do, but find someone else because I don't want to be a part of this. And then last week, we looked at how after everything that had happened to Moses, he realized that the most important thing was the presence of God to the point where he said to God out in this same wilderness, God, if you're not going to go with us, then I don't want to go. God, if your presence is not going to go before us, if you're not going to lead us, then I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to stay where you are. And so this morning, we're going to build off of that. And I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Numbers, and we'll be in chapter 13. Now, uh, we have been in the book of Exodus, and we've been looking at all those things. But today, we're going to jump to the book of Numbers. And Numbers relates the story of Israel and their journey from Mount Sinai to the plains of Moab on the border of Canaan. It tells us a lot about the murmuring and a lot about the rebellion of the Israelites, especially their refusal to undertake the, the conquest of Cana, the thing that God wanted them to do. Lose. Oh, was it? Perfect. <laughs> um, and, and so when you look at the book of Numbers, you find a lot of interesting things if you're like an insomniac, right? Because if you, if you look at Numbers, uh, let me set the stage for you. The first 10 books of the book of Numbers is all about Numbers, very good. Sharp crowd this morning, right? It's all about numbers. It's all about who came out of Egypt and all the different people and from the different tribes and all this stuff that we, we learn about there in, in the first 10 chapters. The Levites, the priests, the purity of the people, the setting up the tabernacle, and the offerings the people uh, were to make. Then you get to chapter 11, and there's this rebellion from the people due to the, to the lack of variety in their menu, right? They wanted something else. They were tired of just manna. They wanted to go back to Egypt where they had fish and cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic, except for one major problem with that plan. In Egypt, they were slaves, right? It's like, come on, food over freedom. Take, take your pick here. But God heard them and heard their complaining and their grumbling, so he sent them quail to eat and more quail than they knew what to do with, if you were to read there in chapter 11. Chapter 12, we find uh, Miriam and Aaron rebelling against Moses, and soon they realize, hey, that's not a very good idea, so they ask for forgiveness and all is well again. And obviously, I paraphrased that whole chapter in that little bit, so just go back and look at that yourself. And now here in chapters 13 and 14, we have the account of how the people rebelled against Moses, and ultimately they were rebelling against God. And for the sake of time here this morning, we're not going to read through all of Exodus, or excuse me, Numbers chapters 13 and 14, but I want to encourage you to do that, maybe at some point later today or, or later on this week. And if you're listening online, thanks mom, 
Now would be a good time to pause and to read chapters 13 and 14, and all this would make a lot more sense. So I just want to encourage you to do that at some point. So um, I would suggest, even though we haven't read those chapters together here this morning, those two chapters can be summarized in one word, and that word is unbelief. Unbelief. And as we look at this account from Numbers 13 and 14, I want us to consider what happened to the nation of Israel because of their unbelief. The first and perhaps the most obvious result of the Israelites' unbelief was this. It was their missed blessings. And these are some blanks in the back of your bulletin. I invite you to grab that and to to fill in a few blanks, take a few notes, whatever uh, you want to do here this morning. But think about this. Here are God's people. They have been slaves all of their life. Their backs have been broken by the terrible load that they were forced to carry under Pharaoh's rule in Egypt. For generation after generation after generation, they were a slave race living in foreign soil. They'd heard the stories of the patriarchs and about the promise that God had made to them about the land flowing of milk and honey, but more than likely that seemed way too good to be true after 400 years of servitude. But then it happens, right? We've read about that. God delivers his people out of bondage, and he he leads them out into the desert to prepare them for this new life that they're going to live in the promised land. And and during this time of preparation, God is speaking to them and, and, and working miracles in their midst. He gives them the Ten Commandments to help them know how to live this new life in community. He enters into a covenant with the people. Uh, but the desert was this tough, inhospitable place to be. And, and while this was supposed to be a, a limited time of preparation, even in that that time, God miraculously supplied them with food. But even after they'd received the food directly from God, God blessing them, the people, they wanted something more, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. And they continued to fail to realize that what they were doing was only a temporary thing, that God was preparing them to enter into the promised land, to enter into a land where they would be free, and they could enjoy all the different foods and experience the blessings that God had prepared for them. And so this people would know that this was a land for them. God had told them, and he had promised them, and he was leading them. And and God wanted them to know that it wasn't that they were just going to just take it easily, but that God was not only working for them, but he was working through them. And so God tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. And, and if you were to start reading chapter 13, you'd find that this is, this is what happens. He, he sends 12 spies into the land to scout out the land. And they do that for 40 days. And they bring back this report that confirms their highest hopes and aspirations about the goodness of the land that God had promised to them. It would all be theirs if they would just take the land that God had given them. And they just had to trust him. And yet, We know how the story goes, right? That's not what happens. Uh, Instead of trusting God to be faithful to his covenant promises, instead of trusting the Lord that he would fight for them as as God promised, they acted in unbelief. And these people who had for so long suffered, right? They'd been uh, slaves their entire life. They'd been out in the wilderness now for a while. I, I would guess that they laid awake at night looking up, wondering what this promised land would be like. These people who the promise was made to, who had seen all these things that God had given to them and done for them, they would never enter into this promised land. They would miss out on God's blessing for them. Instead of a few months wandering in this wasteland of a wilderness, they would live and die there. Instead of a few months of manna, it would be 40 years of manna. I got to tell you, I like, like very limited numbers of food, but I think I like having more variety than just one, right? 
But think about manna for 40 years because of their unbelief. Think about the blessings they missed because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief, it wasn't just a brief layover in the wilderness. It became their home. Instead of having the unique privilege of being the generation that would lead the the nation into this promised land, their legacy instead became one of a rebellious, disgraced generation that refused God, chose not to believe, And because of that, they would never enter the promised land. And I I think what's important for us to see is this this big difference between what God wanted for them and what they ended up truly experiencing. And do you see the vast chasm, the vast difference between those two things? God's incredible blessing for them in the land that he'd promised to them and the humble wasteland life that they lived because of their unbelief. And I would suggest that due to their own, due to our own unbelief, I would think there are times that we miss out on the potential blessings of God as well in in our own life. Unbelief causes us to settle for God's second or third best. It puts us in the pit of despair and wandering around in the wilderness of hardship instead of being in the promised land of God's blessing. I think often we as believers, we begin to live our life as something less than God has planned for us because we choose not to believe and we choose not to ask God to to help us with our unbelief. I see it all the time. Marriages are dry and their relationships are are stale because they refuse to trust God to believe his promises for their life. And instead of being willing to die for their spouse, they look out for themselves. I've had people tell me, well, you know, marriage is a 50-50 proposition. And and no, marriage is a 100-100 proposition. You've got to be all in if you want it to be good. You've got to be willing to do everything and and to die to self the way Christ loves us. We're to love each other. I've often seen people who live their lives unsure on the edge of despair because they just simply refuse to to believe that God really loves them because of what Jesus has done for them. They, They live their life believing that they're not worthy or believing that that if I only get my act together if I finally get this straightened out and stop doing this and start doing this and then then I can come to church then I can pray to God then I can have a relationship with God again and while we would never say it like this we wouldn't approach them and say it this way I, I think the truth of the matter is we don't completely trust God we don't completely believe that his grace is sufficient for us we choose Instead, to wander in the wilderness of ourself and and what we can do instead of on the promise of God and what he can do. And we miss out on his blessings. We miss out on his grace. I think we also see it when uh, this unbelief, when God calls us to step outside of ourselves a little bit and, and to act on faith. But instead, we follow the path of least resistance or what is easy or what is popular or what is convenient or what is trending instead of what is right. We do what we know we can do which requires absolutely no faith. And we miss out on the blessing that God has for us because we're doing it on our own power and not through his. And it doesn't mean that that God is no longer with us. It doesn't mean that we've lost our salvation. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that we have missed out on the blessings that God had prepared for us. And I illustrate that this way, and, and I hope that what I want to communicate will be communicated. Back in 2007, uh, 2006, actually, um, my wife and I, our family, got a call that there's this church in central New Jersey that's looking for a pastor, and no one in their right mind would ever move to Jersey, right? And yet, 
we talked on the phone. We came up and visited. We kind of tried to sneak in and sneak out, but it didn't really work that way. And, and then in the, the spring of 2007, we came up, and, and we fell in love with this place. And what we found was this. We found, you know, we, we talked about how God's plan doesn't make sense sometimes. That didn't make sense for us. Because everything was going the way we wanted it to go at our, you know, previous location. I was on the right trajectory and career path and all that stuff, right, that you want to do. And yet, here's one of the things that caused us to uproot and, you know, come east. It was, we believed that God was showing up here. And we wanted to be a part of it. We selfishly didn't want to miss what God was going to do. And we knew that God was going to do it either through us or through somebody else. And we wanted to be a part of that. We didn't want to miss that blessing. And it, it was not easy. Sometimes it's still not easy. And yet it's a decision we would make again and again and again because of God's faithfulness and God's blessing. Does that make sense? Sometimes what is easy, because sometimes it's easy to stay put, but sometimes God is saying, hey, I, I need you to do something different. I need you to step out. I need you to trust me, to put your faith in me, and not miss out on the blessings that I have in store for you. That's the first thing, miss blessings. The second thing that we see as a result of this unbelief is they begin to accept the lie. Accept the lie. They, they accepted it. In the first part of chapter 13, we do see that Moses sent those 12 spies into the land, one from each of the 12 tribes, and they return from their 40-day reconnaissance mission, and they give this report, beginning in verse 27. If you have your Bibles open, I invite you to follow along. It'll be on the screen here behind me. It says, We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The the Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread out among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. The scene unfolds, and they discover that the land at which they're on the border of, the border of Canaan, it is a great and amazing place. It's full of all the things, all the best things, but there are people there, right? Isn't that what they say? There's people in the Negev. There's people in the hills, and there's even more people in the coast. How many people were out in the wilderness whenever they were let out there? None, right? But now this land is full of people. And because of the people and because of the fortified cities, 10 of the 12 spies said, we can't do this. They are bigger. They are stronger. And the people accepted the lie. What lie did they accept? They accepted the lie that the size and the strength of the people and the cities is what ultimately mattered. They didn't believe God's promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15. They thought it was going to be easy. That's what had happened to them up to this point. You see, God had done virtually everything for them. Brought on the plagues. He led them out of Egypt. He destroyed Pharaoh's army. He provided water and food for them. He led them to this land. And now that they're there, they say, no way. This land is full of people. And if we have to actually do something, I don't know that we're capable of doing anything. Therefore, we cannot do this. And I would suggest they accepted the lie that because God was with them, 
that there would be little or no effort or little or no risk required of them. And because they accepted the lie, it fueled that unbelief. And I wonder if we don't do the same thing sometimes. Do we accept the lie that being a follower of Christ means nothing but green lights and sunny days, you know, 72 degrees and perfect trips to the shore every time, right? That all the bills are paid, that all your dreams will be realized. And when it's not so easy, we begin to question God and we begin to question what we believe and we begin to wonder if it's really worth it. You see, I would suggest that it's not this either-or dichotomy, right? I think it's a both-and proposition. I would say to you that God has called us to trust him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Scripture tells us that. But it also tells us that we are to become more like him, to grow in our faith, to, to practice spiritual disciplines as we discover and experience his love and his grace, and we grow in a relationship with him, with him that grows stronger each and every day that changes our life. Paul challenges us in Philippians chapter 2 to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will act and will and to act according to his good purpose. See, yes, we rest in God's grace, okay? Don't misunderstand that. We rest in his grace. We trust him with our life. But we also work and we serve and we give and we're challenged to grow in our faith and, and be a part of the ministry of reconciliation as we go to people who are far from the Lord and we love them with the unconditional love of Christ and we teach them the truth of his word. It's not just passively saying, oh, God's in control and God's in charge and I can just sit back and rest on my laurels and just know that everything's fine. It's actively pursuing God. It's actively engaging in a relationship with him and not accepting the lie like the the Israelites did that that everything is going to be effortless and everything's going to be free of difficulty. God never promises that he's going to roll out the red carpet, but he does promise that he's going to walk with us through the valley. So yes, we trust him, but he's also calling us to pursue him and to become more like him. It's faith and it's works. It's not works to to prove anything. It works because of our relationship with Christ. And they work together. So we can't just accept the lie that things are going to be easy. But God has called us to walk with him and to pursue him with our life. The third result of unbelief that I want to suggest from this text is that they forget the past. They just forget uh, the past and the things that have happened. By the time of this rebellion, God has done uh, virtually everything to demonstrate his power and his concern for the people. Again, think about what God has done. He took the most powerful nation in the world, and he used a shepherd's staff, basically, to destroy it. In one failed swoop, he he wiped out, arguably, the strongest military force in the world. He turned the Red Sea into dry land. He came down from Mount Sinai in majesty and awesome glory. And now the Israelites, on the edge of Canaan, they, they face this opposition. And while certainly it wasn't going to be easy, not like they believed it would be, God wanted them to see that he was not only for them, but he was working through them. But in Numbers 14, the Jews display this remarkable sense of spiritual amnesia. Look at Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 2. The text says this, All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Like, really? Really? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Again, back to Egypt. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. <sighs> Unbelief, it, it horribly clouds a person's memory. I think it's 
just ironic that the people remember that stable life they had in Egypt, right? They wanted to go back to Egypt. They'd, they'd forgotten all the things God had done to lead them out of Egypt. When the spies come back and say, we can't go in there, uh, it's full of people. They were in effect saying, hey, all the stuff that God did, all the stuff he did to get us out of Egypt, all the things he's done to provide for us uh, since we left Egypt, they really don't matter. That's in the past. Right now, it seems hopeless. God had done all of these things, not just because of his concern and his love for the people, but so that they would trust him. And so when it came time for them to act so that they could draw on the faith and the strength from past provision, and yet the people acted as though those things had never happened. And I think it's easy from our vantage point to look back in history and go, what's your problem? Why were you so uh, full of unbelief? And yet in our lives, how many times do, do we, are we faced with a situation where God is calling us to do something outside of our comfort zones and yet we refuse him because we just can't see that God's going to follow through in this situation? We do it all the time in our life. We say such things as, I can't tithe because there won't be enough. I, I can't attend a small group and I certainly could never host a small group and experience true community with other people because it takes way too much time. I can't attend an adult Christian education class or, or help out with a PCC, PCC kids class or help out in any other thing because I am just too busy. I'm too important. I've got way too much to do. And God, even though I feel like maybe he's asking me to do that, I, no, I just can't do that because I'm not sure God is going to come through for me. And when we start living our lives that way, a part of our daily life, I, I think we forget and ignore the scriptures, and we ignore the calling of God in our life. In short, I think we don't believe. And as a result of that unbelief, we begin to think, number four, it's too much. It's just too much. We see in the text after the spies gave their report, Caleb says in verse 30, I want to read it again, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb understood that God had given them this land. And even though Caleb's testimony is far more consistent with what they had seen from God throughout this time period, that God had provided for them, that God was providing for them, that God was there with them, the people didn't believe him. It was just too much to understand. They started to believe that God lacks the power to do it. And that's what they chose to believe. And in chapter 14, Joshua and Caleb, they try to convince the people. They say these words, Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people in the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Remember what we talked about, the presence of God being with them. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. These two men demonstrated their faith in God. They understood that it was not about their military power. It was about God and His amazing power. They knew that since God was with them, that no one else was going to be able to stand against them. But the people were unimpressed by this information, and they rejected it. And look at how they responded in verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them, right? So before they wanted to elect new leadership and go back to Egypt, and now that these people are trying to convince them, no, this is what we should do, let's just kill them. They didn't want to hear it. They knew what they believed. Don't bother me with the facts. And what's interesting is, again, I think we do the same thing to God at some level. Every time we look at the word and we look at his commands and we look at his promises and we read the scriptures and we refuse to believe them and we refuse to act upon them. I want you to look 
at some truths that we find in the Scripture. And they're going to they're gonna come up on the screen really fast because I'm going to go through them really fast. But, but the idea is so that you can see that, that God's promises are there and, and that God loves us and He's provided for us and He's done all these things for us. John 8, 36 tells us that we are free in Christ. Romans 8, 1 and 2 tells us that because of Jesus, we are not condemned. We can overcome temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. In Christ, we are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. God is with us, Psalm 9, 9 and 10, that we are to be there for each other, offering comfort to, to one another, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. That we are called to repent and be baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 38 and 39. That God knows what we need, Philippians 4, 19. That God offers us forgiveness and makes us righteous through Christ, 1 John 1, 9. That while we deserve death, he's given us life, Romans 6, 23. That nothing can separate us from the love of Christ through Jesus, the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I could go on and on and on, right? Because there are so many promises, so many more promises, and so many more scriptures that reinforce these promises. And when we believe, and when we trust him, when we act on faith on what he can do, not what we can do, we participate in the ministry of reconciliation, and we help people discover and experience that life-changing love of Christ. That's what we're called to do. I've had people say to me, I want to believe, I just don't know how, or I just can't. And we're going to move into a time of response this morning. And, and Ian's going to come up and, and lead us in, in a song of response. But, but as we do that, I want to encourage you with just a couple more things. I, I want to tell you, first of all, that God loves you. Regardless of where you are and where you are in your relationship and where you are in life and whatever you're involved in, that, that God loves you. And he's inviting you to have a relationship with him, to come to him, to surrender to him. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 tells us, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, as, as you declare before men, before people, and before God that, that you believe in him, he, he will save you and he invites you then to walk in obedience with him, to walk in faith and experience a new life, a life that can only be found in him. And I think when we do that, we move from being this believer who just has faith to being a true follower of Christ where our belief and our actions meld together and we're doing what God has called us to do. And when we do that, we, we experience his blessings in our life. And I'm not standing up here telling you that everything's gonna be great and everything's gonna be easy. No, it may be very difficult, but God is with us. God is with you. We reject the lie and we accept the truth. We remember what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, his son. And we know that with his presence in our life, we can make it through. We want to invite you to respond to the Lord this morning, to accept him, maybe for the first time, and to, to stand up before this group of people and to, and to say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, and I want him as my Lord and Savior. Maybe today you've made that confession, and yet your life is, is just kind of staying here with belief, and it's time to move into faith and, and to put your faith into action. And it's time to step out and, and to accept the call that God has put on your life. Or maybe there's just something going on in your life. You want someone to pray with you. You want someone to encourage you. Maybe you just need someone to just sit with you and, and just spend time with you. We're going to invite you to respond to the Lord this morning. Members of the leadership team and the prayer team will be at the front and the back of the auditorium. And we invite you to respond this morning. Stand with me. Ian's going to lead us in this song of response. You make your way to the front and the back. <laughs>